Earlier this morning, you were all each asked a question, what is one of your favorite pieces of music? And what are the elements of this piece that make it your favorite? Surely that's a loaded question and there's a lot to talk about there. If I were to guess, some of your answers lay in this realm of maybe foreground textures. The obvious answers, oh, I really love the poignant lyrics or it has such a singable, memorable melody. Or perhaps you found yourself identifying more with the background textures. In that case, right on. Maybe your favorite piece of music has incredibly strong harmony underneath it all, or an underpinning rhythmic groove that you just can't get out of your head. Regardless of your answer, whatever is at the forefront or the background that captivates, moves, and inspires you, it's true, and it's certainly worth this conversation. Webster's Dictionary defines orchestration as a balanced, pleasing, or suitable arrangement of parts. Let me say that again. It's a balanced, pleasing, or suitable arrangement of parts. In a musical context, the craft of orchestration is one that necessitates that similar and contrasting musical layers work in tandem to present a consummate whole. Today we're going to explore this intricate dance between musical elements, the concept of what communal support means at the musical and specifically orchestrational level. I'm very lucky here to be joined by a live string quartet, which is a common chamber ensemble of musicians that emerged out of the classical period in music. We just heard excerpts from variations on a Russian theme for string quartet, as well as a preview of what we're about to hear for the offertory, which is the second movement from the Emperor Quartet by none other than Franz Joseph Haydn. So now that we have those melodies in our head, we know we're going to, what we're going to listen for during the service. Before we get started, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the instruments of the string quartet, it is composed of four musical string instruments. That is two violins, one viola, and one cello. These are members of the string family, who in this case are organized from the highest sounding instrument in the ensemble to the lowest sounding instrument in the ensemble, the cello. Let's start by listening to a well-known melody, Ode to Joy, which is excerpted from the last movement of Beethoven's famous Ninth Symphony. Here it is orchestrated in four parts for this string quartet. Let's take a listen. Ah, how nice. When we hear this, yeah, let's give them one, one single clap because they're going to be playing a lot, so let's not get their egos too big. When we hear this, the first question might be, what are we listening for? That was fine. That was good by itself. That's good enough. Let's get this sermon over with. Let's go home. Come on, I got, I got to get to brunch. 
Well, that might be a nice thought, but unfortunately, I'm keeping you here for a few minutes. Perhaps it might be worthwhile to teach ourselves how to dissect what we're listening to, regardless of what it is, so that we can better understand the value of music in our lives, what music is and how it all comes together. For example, we can separate and extract the different elements of a musical composition. We can analyze it like we would any composition of art into foreground and background textures like we spoke about earlier. A first question that might pop to mind is, what is the foreground texture here? Arguably, in this case, we think of the most foreground texture as that famous melody. In case you missed it, here's a little excerpt of that melody so you can hear it one more time. Thank you, Meg. What sort of things do we notice about this particular musical theme? What stands out to you? Texturally, I would consider it to be very rhythmically repetitive, uh, that right? Very easy to sing, very hymn-like. And what's an affect we might use to describe the melody? How does it channel our emotions? Perhaps it's, I would consider it personally very triumphant, very Germanic sounding, because it's Beethoven. It's the, the finale of the Ninth Symphony. And it's a very singable melody, right? All of these qualities I consider emotional affects. Ode to Joy is a melody that takes on a lot of characteristics. Meg plays it so beautifully. And today we're going to have her play the melody the same way each time. Because today we will just focus on this one aspect of orchestration, which is the melody itself and how to support this melody with various textures. Of course, there are so many ways we can support a melody. What exactly does a web of interconnected support look like and sound like at the musical level? One can simply harmonize the melody in a simple four-voice setting, as we just heard. Here it is again. Very nice. A most basic support for the melody is in fact the harmonic bed that lies below it. In music theory jargon, this is called part writing and harmonic voice leading, where each melodic note is harmonized by a chord below it. The instruments of the string quartet will play members of the harmony. This is the tried and true option that will get us a result immediately. We identify the melody, usually on top, and we write and realize the full harmony below it. As such, here's the first note of the melody harmonized from top to bottom. Ah, how nice. When each note is harmonized like this, it's very pleasing, it's an uncomplicated sound. Each member of the chord is contributing something worthwhile, specifically the melody on top, the inner voices in the middle, and the bass part represented by none other than our cellist, usually. But could there be more to it? Could we find other effective tools to support the melody? In the world of orchestration, that is, the world of expansion, expanding textures, we are often faced with these creative questions. How to make something memorable? How to accentuate the different and varying musical aspects of a composition. Herein lies the question, other ways in which we can support the melody alone. We have simple top-down harmony as an option, but what else is there? Let's experiment. 
For example, what might happen if we took this lovely melody and doubled it down the octave or in a lower register with another instrument in the string quartet, such as maybe the viola? Well, that's interesting. Let's take a listen to a full excerpt and listen to Violin One's melody and how it's supported an octave lower with the same melody in the viola. Wow, nice. That sounds very powerful, at least to me. You hear the melody cut through the balance very uniquely when it's doubled, especially an octave lower. Notice we still have the harmony represented by all the other instruments, but these layers of the harmony have now been adjusted slightly to accommodate the new range considerations of our melody. It's an interesting phenomenon. We hear the melody be reinforced when it's played by multiple instruments and octaves, it is a bed of support. It's a canopy of support for the melody that requires what I consider doubling or mirroring. We are validating the thematic material by mirroring it in another voice. This is a very common and all uh, phenomenon in all types of music. There's a possibility it might even happen in your favorite song. For example, think about all of the foreground textures in your favorite song, whether it's a sung melody or an instrumental solo, whatever it may be and think about the times the accompanying textures turn into a mirror image of that melody. So that could mean another instrument playing the melody while it's being sung, or more voices coming in in unison. For example, background voices or vocal doubling, right? You hear more voices singing the same thing. That's all the same concept here. It's all a reaffirmation of the melody. So this might be the perfect time to pause and consider the implications beyond what this represents musically. Can it mean that someone in your life mirrors exactly what you're thinking? What does the gesture of being supported in this way mean to you personally? Depending on the context, can this axiom of thought be empowering to you or hindering? There's a lot to consider in the orchestration and doubling of a melody alone. But that's not it, is it? Is our support of the melody limited to just this, doubling it down an octave or with other voices? Aren't there other ways to support this melody beyond just doubling it? Of course. What would happen if we were to consider writing a contrasting part against the melody? As we refer to in music, a counter melody. For example, we already know our main theme is Ode to Joy, what we might consider fortified and hymn-like and singable. Just to get it into your ears once more, here it is. Great, but perhaps our contrasting texture that is played alongside this melody could be different. What could we add that's contrasting? Perhaps it could be a counter melody of looseness, of great rhythmic and intervallic volatility or unpredictability. Maybe something like this. Interesting. 
let's put all of these parts together and focus on this lovely interaction between our violin one melody and the violin two contrasting more active counter melody. Interesting, right? It's a little different. Sometimes in life, we might need that friction or some sort of contrast or challenge to a primary theme, some sort of element, musical or otherwise, that fills in the cracks where the theme is arguably lacking. There are distinct, remarkable characteristics to this Ode to Joy theme. We don't need to belabor that point. There's no arguing with that. But perhaps these qualities are accentuated when they're presented in tandem with something of a vastly different or opposite affect. So here's once again where we get our eyes out of the score and into the world around us. In what ways has a contrasting school of thought enriched you? What does the gesture of being challenged mean to you? In what ways do we find support in others filling the holes for us? The really important item here to understand, though, is that this is a friction that runs contrary to the theme, alongside the theme, but not in adversity to the theme. This is an important distinction to make in art. It is a friction that stays within the larger picture. It is a counter melody that keeps the best interests of the primary melodic theme in mind. And pertinently, it also keeps the harmonic backdrop in mind. Despite this counter melody being a seemingly contrasting texture rhythmically, the element still keeps the overall image the overall infrastructure in mind. We are thus brought to think critically about the role of contrast. Friction becomes an essential component to our richly textured life. Each counter melody we encounter encourages us to listen more deeply and to compose more thoughtful, varied lives. Let's listen now to the other half of the Ode to Joy theme excerpt, but this time with the viola and the cello presenting this contrasting active rhythmic motion. Community support can look like multiple things in music. It can be as simple as vertical harmony under each note. It can be the mirroring of a melody through its doubling in another voice, or it can be a carefully crafted counter melody that represents extreme contrast. That's just three of many, many more examples in which the foreground textures can be supported. We understand that melody not only dictates the flow and direction of the piece, but it also deeply influences how supporting elements are employed, whether they reinforce and or elaborate upon the primary, primary thematic element. So how are we presenting and supporting the melodic material? It's extremely important, and it is affected by a variety of factors. There are some considerations here as well. It will inevitably be that the ensemble is limited, the medium that's presented the music. 
For example, there are only four instruments in a string quartet, so when we have limited voices orchestrationally, we have to be methodical and careful about the decisions we're making so that they're the best use of our resources. In addition to that, what is the context of this piece that's being premiered? What's the purpose? Is it prelude music for a church service? Is it demonstration music during a sermon, which in case it is now? Or is it a standalone composition that closes a concert? All of these things matter. What is the context of the theme? Is it a resurgence of hope? Is it thematic material? Is it a melancholy farewell? All of these considerations have a great impact on how we present the melody and the decisions we make on how to support the melody. So the next time you're listening to a piece of music, try to pay attention to all these questions. What is the intended emotional affect? What is the foreground? And what are the characteristics of this foreground texture? Then from there, what are the elements or the layers you can extract out of the piece of music that are in support of this foreground texture? What are the elements we might take for granted? The very basic communicators of harmony that hold it down, that allow more ambitious, more rhythmically active textures to occur. How do the fundamental elements of balance embedded within the music mirror the complexities and nuances of both our individual and our collective human experience? It can be easy to diffuse these questions as well, especially in a world that's ridden with conflict, hubris, and so much greed. Where exactly does music fit in? Why on earth would talking about orchestration be relevant when there is such tragedy, such mass death, and such division in our world currently? What hubris could I possibly have to pontificate on this? Melodies and counter-melodies, who cares? But I provide a consequent to this line of thought because this is one of the most important conversations we could be having as humans right now because it affects people, it affects us on a granular level. Understanding art teaches us to be human. Dissecting music helps us to see and appreciate the contributions of different ideas to affirm both the reflections of ourselves and the differences from ourselves that we see in others and to understand that an effectively balanced composition upholds a blend of all of these things. I think ahead to a quote we're going to hear as our closing words, an excerpt from Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, where he says, for all things are in a way woven together and all are because of this dear to one another. For these follow in order upon one another because of the stressed movement and the common spirit and the unification of matter. Marcus Aurelius is telling us a maxim that applies to art because art in itself represents the most ideal infrastructure that is present in our universe. That when multiple humans and parts work together with the needs of the whole in mind, our individual contributions are not only highlighted, but they're contextualized as necessary interdependent entities. None of these musical ideas would carry the weight they do without the rest in support of it. Art that works together is inherently uncapitalistic. All elements of an effective composition need to consider the whole. They cannot be working in silos. A single musical element, regardless of what it is, regardless of its size or its importance, cannot be advancing its own best interests without understanding the consummate needs of where it fits into the larger picture. Art necessitates, as a rule, to be considered art in the first place, that it represents the mutual relationships prevalent in our universe. 
And no, I'm not talking about artificial intelligence art, which is a caricature of the human experience. It inevitably will contain inconsistencies within its humanist composition, and at its very most innate core is going to be devoid of any soul or vulnerability that makes music a representation of human hope, human imperfection, and human triumph. So art is a distinctly human tool, riddled with imperfections. We understand music's ability could be weaponized in this way. It could be a tool of mass manipulation. Putting lyrics aside, we haven't even mentioned lyrics today, musical elements themselves can catechize us. They can make a powerful statement. Just like the world, art has the potential to steer one's politics. And even using melody, counter-melody, and harmony alone to implant ideas methodically, whether they're for our best interests or against. So in and of itself, music represents a utopia of intention, of a creator that wishes to communicate not through words, but through art and expression of idealism. Music as interdependence is what I would consider a very powerful concept, all often too unexplored. Consider the elements of music that mean a lot to you. Could it be that some of its construction represents your individualism, your life story, and your vision of self within the collective whole. In just these three tactile examples alone, we explored a wealth of possibilities of melodic orchestration, vertical harmony, doubling of the melody, and contrasting rhythmic activity that can occur through any excerpt. We talked about how community support in music manifests in various forms, but it's still important to keep in mind that all of these techniques we talk about are still just tools. Perhaps the listener might become jaded if we're hearing the same orchestrational tools all the time. In contrast to this, maybe there are times where every musician playing the same texture at once is a significant gesture and it's intentional. The effectiveness of a composition is in the variety of ways in which we support our community, support our foreground textures, regardless of what instrument has it. Therefore, in closing, I invite us to listen once more to Ode to Joy, but this time with a variety of supportive textures that blend the three that we spoke about. It's important that we understand that just as we change and develop over our lives, so does a melody. And just as the way a melody calls for different webs of support throughout its life cycle, so do we and our communities ideally adapt as ever-changing, malleable, interdependent beings. May we understand our definition of orchestration is certainly a balanced, pleasing, or suitable arrangement of parts. But going beyond this, may we view the orchestration of music as a metaphor for our interdependent universe, and may we be advocates in creating a more balanced, more thoughtful, and more varied world.
May it be so. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit deeper into this week's service themes. I'm really excited for this week's special music Sunday, and I'm so excited to have our very own director of music, the one, the only, Rob, as I call him. I, you know, I, I suppose you have a full name too, Rob. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere. Um, Rob is totally cool, or Rob bonus me not. But it's great to have you get this chance to both share with our community, but also this chance for us to get to sit down for one of these getting the messages. Ember, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk all things nerd dumb and all things music. We'll, we'll hold ourselves into some bounds of the nerd dumb because I do know that you know you and I could talk about Taylor Swift's musical styles for at least an hour, but. That is not what your message was about. So could you tell us a little bit about what the inspiration for your message was? Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, my, my, my sermon is um, structured around the idea of music as interdependence. So basically, um, when we're listening to a musical composition or any piece of music that we love, um, you know, the, el the elements, um, there are always elements that we are able to extract from it. And what I find really interesting as a musician and as someone that you know teaches orchestration at the university level right now, and especially is super um, deep into analyzing um, how orchestration works in um, a musical context, of course, um, I, what I find really interesting is um, how you can extract different elements of a composition and see how they work together to create an overall consummate thing that you're listening to. So um, I, I contend that the way that mu um, musicians and musical elements support each other in a composition is akin to the way that we as humans ideally support each other in a healthy, thriving social infrastructure. So um, yeah, so that's, that, that, that's, that, that's the, uh, the gist of kind of where uh, my sermon is headed. <laughs> No, I I really love the theme, and you know we came up with the time for all ages idea together, which was you know this idea of asking the kids about like what kind of skills they bring because I think this is like a great idea to think about of like how do the things that we each individually bring come together in community just in the same way as how do the things that we um, the music the pieces that come together equal this one thing exactly. Um, it's it's really it's really fascinating. Were there any resources that you drew from? Yeah. So, um, well, my my main um, medium by which I'm planning to present this sermon is, um, <clears throat> or in this case, I by which I presented the sermon or um, uh, have actualized it is uh, um, the string quartet. So I've been um, doing a lot of listening and researching and. Um, looking for really strong examples that support the idea of community infrastructure and community interdependence in the musical pedagogical sense. So for example, what that means for me is finding um, examples of themes and variations um, where a theme is presented in one instrument of a string quartet, which is again, you know, just violin one, violin two, viola and cello, just a quartet of players. But um, the theme is distributed, uh, interestingly and diplomatically, um, between all of the instruments. For example, the Haydn Emperor Quartet, um, which is, uh, for, you know, his 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 quartet, his Opus Number Seventy Six, um, Number Three, 
his second movement of the Emperor Quartet has a primary theme that's presented by the, the violin one, but then there are variations on that theme where each of the different instruments of the string quartet is presenting that theme. Now, depending on what instrument is presenting that theme, the way in which that theme is supported will vary based on, um, based on who's playing it. For example, violin one is playing it the first time, then violin two plays it the second time, but then the third time, or the second variation, the cello plays the melody, right? So um, there's a lot of interesting orchestrational things that happen when you have this very basic musical pedagogical exercise of having a melody and assigning it to the different instruments. Um, so I find that really um, interesting to explore. I'm, uh, you know, I, I plan to uh, explore that um, in the sermon of, uh, as well, um, see, utilizing a shorter example of Ode to Joy and seeing the ways that um, the melody can be supported in different contexts, whether that's in another instrument or um, a variation on the melody or like a different timbral approach to the melody. So um, yeah, so my, my research, basically my, my preparation for this just came with a lot of listening, a lot of researching and, and finding examples of music that I could extract this idea from. Um, where it's really obvious that the same thematic material is distributed amongst different instruments of the ensemble so that I can make a really clear case for this. Like, oh, look what happens when this melody goes here and look what happens when this melody goes here. So I, I just looked for, um, for quartets and for already published pieces of music that demonstrate this, um, this uh, phenomenon very clearly. So a little known fact is that I actually was just actually playing an instrument or being in the choir away from like considering a a music and worship planning like minor in my undergrad um, because I love the, the like liturgy, the planning of a service. It's something that really like I stop and think about um, and I've appreciated getting to work in services where people really do actually like think about how the whole thing comes together. I love how your music supports like the sermon, how you know, one of the things that I've joked about is that the time for all ages is like, uh, I always call it an alley-oop, that it's like, you know, it is introducing some themes via a lesson to the kids that then the adults are going to pay attention and then they'll be like, oh, I see how that was relevant to, to the sermon. And maybe the better, maybe the better, <laughs> I can say that the service is an ensemble, uh, that, I, that all of it is coming together, that our various pieces come together to create this this whole exactly yeah um that's a, a really good example i didn't, hadn't even thought about that the liturgy itself right is itself an ensemble of players um and everyone you know like we're, we're all determining what is the consummate whole via our individual contributions right um and yeah the the time for all ages has its own its own character right you know the sermon has its own character um you know the choices of music have their own character right everything but it's nothing Nothing exists um, in the whole without the other things complementing it. That that therein lies right. the magic of interdependence and planning and all of that fun stuff. Right. And when it works well, it's seamless. That you don't even you, you're just like, wow, that was a really great service. But you don't people don't necessarily see all of the work that went on behind the scenes to make sure that that service all flowed together. Doing a lot of hand motions today. You know, it's the the artistic Sunday, so I have to make hand motions. 
You're conducting. There we go. You're, we you're wearing off on me, Rob. So the real question is that the listeners will be curious about is what Taylor Swift song is the best example oh of God. this? You knew it was coming, Rob. You knew it was coming. Oh, man. Um, my Taylor Swift knowledge is, is, is... Limited to the ones you come up with when I ask limited, you for one limited for service? To, I mean... Um... It's okay if you don't have one. Is there a is there a pop culture artist though that like a little bit more modern that you think is like a good example of thinking about? Well, I'm still thinking about Taylor Swift. I'm, I'm thinking about um, you know, uh, um, what is it? Love Story, right? I mean, that's just the quintessential non-Taylor Swift fan will jump to um, utilizing that as a reference. But like, there are so many elements. Like, you know, if you take Taylor's voice and her lyrics out of the song. You, it still sounds like a Taylor Swift song. And why is that, right? Because, you know, I guess it was maybe Jack Antonoff or whomever would, would have produced that, uh, that piece of music, but there's this signature um, Taylor Swift sound of like, you know, the strummed guitar, in some cases, maybe hand percussion or maybe just some sort of percussive element, you know, maybe like a, a, an upright or not an upright bass, but like some sort of electric bass that's like subdued behind the acoustic strummed sound um you know some sorts of like you know percussive transitionary material there's a lot of stuff that you know is in the mix itself that goes into um this consummate picture of what taylor swift's music is right um i know a lot of people identify with her lyrics and that's great that's another extractable element but an interesting thing is you know to understand like even in pop music or any genre of music is is you know you have people working together, or even if it's the one person working together, um, you analyze all of these uh, different components that work in in a song like Love Story, and you you ask yourself how does the how do how do the musical components, the non lyric based components, support the lyrics? You know, um, like for example, I don't I have no idea what key it's in, but um, can you hear this? Yeah, so you were Romeo. And I said, Romeo, take me. So there's a there's a lot of stuff here. I mean, I'm I'm butchering the lyrics right now, but I'm getting to the actual downbeat of. And I said, Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I will not. Right. Um, when Taylor's arriving to that chorus, and I said, Romeo, take me somewhere I can be alone. That's that's she's she's. That, that's a very important lyric, right? That's, that's something that comes multiple times in the song. It's the chorus, it's the function of the chorus. And what happens in the harmony is that the harmony is resolving to what is functionally known as in music theory, the one chord. It's in this key, do, and here's, here's the chord we arrive to when the chorus comes. Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. Right? So, it's it's obviously clear that that this is a really strong lyric that needs to be supported by what is really strong and functional harmony. So we have this really the strong insistent gesture by Taylor Swift. I sound like a theologian. Uh, the way in which I just said that was really funny, but we have this really strong lyric that's offered by Taylor. And I say, Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone, and really strong harmony that's supporting that. So. That's just an example of like, like when, when something, 
when it seems important in the song and it's the lyric a lot of people approach pop music through the lyrics which are you know the most accessible because there's no jargon or music language behind it which makes sense if you're listening to the lyrics and you understand the way that they're supported by the harmony and you can listen for all of these things it creates this really interesting phenomenon where you notice that the musical elements themselves are telling the same story it sounds like it's arriving somewhere harmonically um then then that's intentional that's supporting Taylor's lyrics. And there's so many other examples of that too, but that's just the first one I thought of. Well, Rob, thanks for thinking on your toes for that one. <laughs> but I actually, you know, I thought that was great. That was a really great thought of how even in music that we think is, you know, a bit more generic, that there is really intentional um, stuff going on. Absolutely. So Rob, thank you for joining us for the Getting the Message but for also sharing and having this special service. Thank you. Um, and thank you for having me on board. And uh, hopefully we all create music and lives and community structures that represent togetherness and interdependence. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the examples I have can support that. And uh, if anybody is still confused by this idea, reach out to me individually, and I'm happy to talk about this at length. And hopefully YouTube does not copyright strike us for music being included in the sermon. We'll find out. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, I think I did that in the incorrect key. I think I did it in a key that worked for my voice. So um, that would be really funny, though. It just sounded so much like the original Taylor production. My voice it did. just it did. striked it as copyright. The algorithm is watching, Rob. The algorithm is watching. <laughs> Okay, and thanks as always to all of our listeners. Thank you, Ember, and thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm.